Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello. Today we're joined by Ticker co-founder Tom McGillicuddy. Good afternoon, Tom. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Oh, pleasure. Good to see you again. So um, just for those who aren't aware, could you tell us a little bit more about what Ticker does? Yeah. So the, uh, the, quick, the quick elevator uh, pitch is uh, Ticker is uh, an impact investment app predominantly for first-time and younger uh, investors, um, getting people to invest for the first time, for the long term, in companies that are addressing one or more social or environmental issues through their business models. So we get people to invest in climate change as an area, for example, in renewable energy companies. And uh, our customer base, the average kind of customer or what the customer base looks like across the whole, uh, the whole uh, customer base is 31 years old on average, 50-50 um, gender split, so gender neutral from a user, usership, 90% um, have never invested before. And as of this month, they're investing about £220 per month on average. So that's the monthly investment. That's not the total portfolio size or investment size. That's just the recurring monthly investment that our customers are making. So um, we're kind of the demographic we wanted to use the app when we set out to 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 uh, to kind of uh, to launch it is using it today. Um, and a bunch of the metrics that we track as a business, like the monthly investment amount, um, has been improving in the past six seven months, which I'm sure we kind of come on to shortly. Um, but that's the uh, that's the brief who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, well, last time we spoke, you, uh, you mentioned your narrative of um, making a profit and feeling good about it. That was uh, sort of yeah, yeah. the drive, That's the it. real push. Exactly. That's exactly who we are as individuals in the team. It's who we were prior to Ticker. Um, it's what we believe in as a business. Our guiding light is giving our customers um, ways to have a positive impact. In- investing is one of the biggest ways one of the biggest bang for your book ways our generation and any generation can kind of influence the world as a collective, I think. Um, and, uh, but it's not limited to that. And I think for us as a business, what we, what we're doing now as of kind of yesterday, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the launch of the carbon offsetting product, which you can kind of come on to, which is how do we build this platform out and give our customers as many ways as possible to how to influence the world in a positive way and influence their own influence themselves in a positive way. So you invest for yourself, your children, you have your pension kind of with us. This is the goals for us. Um, and that's all good for you because of your financial future. And it's good for the planet as well because of the investments, but how, what other ways can we kind of link into your life and help you be a more kind of impactful citizen? Um, and the first kind of expression of that is the carbon offsetting product that we, that we brought out yesterday um, where people can um, link their bank account effectively. We calculate the carbon footprint. Um, and the, eventually what we'll do is we'll coach them on ways to bring it down and spend more, more sustainably or more impactfully for the planet and its people. Um, and we'll offset it using um, UN gold standard carbon credits or other accredited carbon credits around the world. So you're basically funding projects around the world to offset your footprint whilst you bring it down directly and you invest in a solution to the problems that you're trying to offset. So you create this kind of more like total impact platform which is kind of the direction of travel for us as a business yeah no i mean you've been up to a lot over the last year or so um but i saw you were also awarded b corp status so congratulations on that no when, when was it we last spoke when, when, when was uh probably i think it would have been december last year or something like that it's yeah, been a little bit you've been up to a lot since then um so but it was like it was like 10 years <laughs> <laughs> yeah it feels a bit like that um what is the significance of b corp status though what does it mean yeah so for us as a business it's kind of just like an official way for us to 
set in stone all the values that we have been set uh, that are in our DNA that we set out to kind of tell the world and have it, you know, throughout every product that we launch. Um, it's a, it's a way of flagging to everybody that we kind of, you know, we walk the talk basically. Um, and uh, it was a long process. The reason why I asked when we last spoke is because we probably started the application for it about a year ago. And it's a very, very rigorous, it's like, it's almost harder than getting FCA regulated, um, getting over this threshold because the threshold is so high because that maintains the credibility of the accreditation um, that most most companies will get rejected or told to come back when they've got X, Y, and Z in place. Um, luckily for us, it, it didn't happen. We came up with you know with a very good score, but it's very robust. It looks at everything from board structure, shareholder structure, to how we treat our employees, to recycling, to what the product, the impact of the product is. All our all of our investments are analysed. Every single degree of the business is, is analysed, and that's why there's so much power in the uh, in the accreditation. And it just so happens that during COVID, it seems that they've had an absolute rush of businesses trying to get B Corp accreditation. So much so that they've been inundated and kind of they've been doing them doing them in blocks and pausing them because they've had so many companies coming to it. Because I think everyone sees the value of it, and I genuinely think it's it's the future of business is to have a have kind of a, a version of an FCA regulation for impact. And I think B Corp is the first kind of proper expression of that. Um, and uh, it's good that we're, you know, we're one of the first, probably the first investment app to have it. There's other investment companies, but they tend to be bigger wealth managers. So it's good for us to have that. And it kind of just sets in stone all the stuff that we were already doing and believe in anyway. Yeah. No, cause I was, I was writing just about MMC ventures the other day. Um, talking about, then I'll be court regulated and um, approved. So that's, that, I mean, it's, it's sort of the direction of travel that hopefully continues, but you are still surprisingly among, sorry, among the surprisingly small number that are at the moment. Um, yeah. I was going to say you, one of the ways that you sort of appeal to the younger audience is you keep up that good user engagement. There's, there's that constant flow of stories and updates on what the company is doing. And one of these, of course, is how you've, uh, managed to become a B Corp certified company. So what changes have the company implemented and the staff sort of taken on board uh, to do things like reduce carbon? And uh, in terms of just the management of the company, how did you get to that point of being uh, B Corp certified? Yeah, it's interesting because in all honesty, we didn't have to change a great deal. We just had to tell the B Corp association what we were doing what we were doing already was kind of fitting the bill there wasn't a great deal of change now it's kind of helped us think in a more structured way about how we approach certain issues like recycling and offsetting and cycling to work and having a sustainable home desk set up in the world of, of covid we have pol policies on all those things um to help guide our our um our, our, our team members and ourselves basically but there wasn't it wasn't like we had to make wholesale changes to get through it was as we went through the accreditation, we realized that we were doing a lot of things already. And that's in the nature of how we were set up. One of the big things is how we are your employee shareholders of the business. Yes, they're all shareholders of the business, basically. And that's a huge thing because it's, you know, having, having proper ownership and stakeholder of the, of the place in which you work is seen as a positive thing for the future of capitalism in the eyes of the B Corp accreditation. There's a lot of things like that that we were already doing that we've now realized are, you know, are the right things to be doing because the accreditation is promoting those as, as behaviors for companies to adopt. And then there's other little areas where we've, where we've, we've kind of codified things we were already doing, like the recycling things, like the working from home practices. Um, and like uh, every, another thing is how many employees have achieved like promotions in the past year? Well, basically everybody, you know, so we're, we're a fast growing, fast moving company. 
where people come into work, they get ownership of that company and they progress very, very quickly. So all those things are kind of were made the B Corp accreditation kind of set up for us as a business to, to, to achieve basically. And uh, you mentioned that you're a fast growing company, of course, seeing uh, sort of riding the wave of this sort of uh, sustainable ethical investment and it's gone and you couldn't have timed it much better and it's, it was going sort of fantastically when we last spoke but I think there have been a lot of winners and a lot of losers during this pandemic mm-hmm. and a lot of people were able to take advantage of cut price equities while a lot of people looked at their portfolios they're losing a load of money and loads of people are losing confidence and mm-hmm. of course one demographic that would have lost confidence in investment perhaps is uh, your sort of the, your new investors who don't maybe know that it's this huge opportunity as well as obviously being a scary thing. Um, so with that in mind, what kind of trends have you seen in Ticker's usership? And what would your advice be to someone currently holding a diversified impact investment portfolio? Yeah. So there's one thing I'll say before I, before I answer that question um, is that when we were first working on the idea before it was launched, people would always say to us that number one, because of all your investments are positive impact investments, that when the market sells off, they'll sell off more than the market. And number two, because all your customers are first-time millennial investors, um, when the, when they sell off more than the market, they'll all they'll all flee and close their accounts. Basically, neither have been true. So all of every single theme variation and risk level variation within a ticker app that you can that you can uh, choose has outperformed the market year to date during COVID, whichever time frame you want to cut it. Um, and we we lost you know barely anybody during you know COVID. In fact, user numbers continue to to go up. 20%, 30% month over month, every single month, as we have since we began. Um, and assets and revenue has done the same thing. In fact, revenue during during COVID has gone up um, by 400%. Monthly revenue has gone up 400%. Um, so everything people assumed would happen didn't happen. And the first one is the returns of impact investing have obviously been strong for reasons that we can kind of come into. And the second is because of the behaviors of our customer base lend themselves well to weather storms if there are storms, because we baked into the design of ticker is is dollar or pound cost averaging everyone basically signs up to a monthly investment amount which helps people smooth the kind of you know or get rid of the timing of the market as a as a concept you're just investing 100 quid 200 quid every single month unemotionally and that has a great impact on um, especially first-time investors perception of investing because if you invest 200 pounds on day one and it goes down 10%, but then 30 days later, you're adding another 200 pounds, you're making progress and the returns start to stack up at scale the more you make investment. So that's a behavior that's um, stood as well coming into this environment and a behavior that's increased. So we have about 80% of our customers on a, on a monthly recurring investment. That's, um, that's a very, very positive behavior because they weather these storms basically and they weather them well. The second is what we've seen from an engagement or user kind of behavior perspective is i just mentioned before that the average monthly investment is about 220 pounds this month coming into the pandemic the average investment was 125 pounds across the platform so it's nearly a hundred percent increase in the average monthly amount that a customer's investing with us um there's re- i suppose there's reasons we, we can extrapolate from that um one being that we we're talking talk about this yesterday with somebody the idea that a lot of our generation, a lot of every generation has now realized that they need to save properly for their future and have a, and have an amount of money there for them in case something happens in the future. I think that's helped us as a trend. The other trend is just impact itself, i.e. the returns being good and just our desire to have more of a positive impact because of the world in which we live. You know, the, the, the global financial crisis in 2008 really kind of 
gave birth to this movement of thinking about financial services in a different way from, from uh, a bigger amount of people. And I think this crisis will do even more for impact investing as we think about what our money's doing and how it can help the issues that we all care about from a social or environmental perspective. So we've seen behaviors uh, improve across the board and engagement improve across the board. And uh, I think that ties in with the trends on which we sit as a business, providing for yourself and having a positive impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you mentioned that maybe, maybe not counterintuitively, but perhaps surprisingly, the rate of growth you've enjoyed this year. I mean, it seemed like the trajectory hasn't really slowed down, which is very fortunate and a happy um, outcome, of course. But I was just having a look and based on what I saw last month, your company's clean energy investments rally collectively by more than 25%. Mm. What do you think caused that kind of rally to occur? And do you think it's sustainable? I don't think, I don't necessarily think 25% month over month is sustainable or every single month. No, but I think there's a bunch of factors with the renewable energy stuff that's, that's coming into play. It's now in terms of the, the performance of those, those underlying companies and, and themes, um, just the efficiency and cost of the underlying technologies is now a place that makes sense for scalability from a utility point of view. So renewable energy, like solar and wind specifically, is now more viable than most other forms of energy. So that helps the companies that are providing that to you know, earn outsized returns. Um, and then there's obviously the trends of impact layered over that, where people are wanting their money to have more positive impact. And it, it, what I talked about always at the beginning of this is I came into this from working on a impact investment portfolio, an active investment manager. And that portfolio was created out of an idea of looking at future themes. And the first future theme we thought about was clean water. And the idea was the original piece of work was, we'll just find these investable future themes and we'll call it future themes. But then we realized the more we found, the more we realized it had this massive social or environmental bent to the future themes. So when you're investing in these themes, you really should invest in the companies of tomorrow and the companies of tomorrow that uh, that provide technology to these big problems that need to be solved and start solving them and the technology get more efficient and they become more economically viable, those companies will offer outsized returns. That was always our returns argument. And it's just starting to play out. So whether 20% month over month is sustainable or not, it's obviously impossible to call. But I think the long-term trajectory of the trends is sustainable, yeah. I mean, sorry, you might resent the comparison here, but I was uh, I was speaking to um, some of... Jalen's financial advisor, and they were still talking about scaling renewables and stuff like that, and talking about how um, because oil prices affect energy prices, it's uh, those sort of factors still impact um, renewable portfolio, renewables portfolios. But as you just said there, um, you look at companies like Shell and BP, and they're slowly moving towards renewables um, within their business model now, and they're looking to have those implemented by 2030. Um, I think both of those, and of course, they're very far from what you're doing, but it sort of shows that what, what you're aiming to do is really, as you say, investing for the future, because even those uh, once pure play oil and gas firms are now moving towards what you're already doing. Yeah, exactly. So it's, like really- the, it's an example of like the Tesla effect on the car market. You know, all the car manufacturers are now having to do electric vehicles because Tesla's made them viable and popular and, you know, you know, frankly cool from a product point of view so that's like a company's pulled every everybody else that way and um and the, the low oil price has caused people to you know those big utility companies those big oil and gas companies to think about investing in more predictable sustainable um ways of 
producing energy. And, and, and even those companies that were hesitant to do it in the past knew long-term this is the way it was going. It's just that this trend, this situation has accelerated that trend. So I'm pragmatic about those companies doing this because if we're in order to tackle the, the underlying issues of climate change or whatever other theme, um, we need all the companies on board to do it. Um, and we need those big companies to invest in it as heavily, if not more heavily than others. Mm-hmm. And um, again, part of the the reason for your company's success is you offer um, prospective investors the choice of so many different themes um, to look at. I mean, obviously, I, I've been talking about renewables, but you also have the innovation and tech theme um, and the the equality theme, which talks about uh, gender inclusivity and themes like yeah. things like that. Um, but I should imagine going forward, you're looking to continue diversifying and get involved with growing impact sectors. So with that in mind, what interest would you have in innovations such as sustainable agriculture and um, the new sort of the new growing theme, uh, which is recycling electric car batteries into grid scale power storage? Yeah, so any impact theme that we think is investable, we're interested in. So it's the benefit of, for us of not being just focused on climate or, the, or not just being focused on housing for example we're just we're focused on anything that ticks like the people and planet box and that roughly ties in with the un sdgs really from a from a problems that we need to solve perspective sustainable development goals so interested in all those areas the important thing for us is and i, and I, I think we discussed this last time is we are building our own funds basically um our own etfs which will launch at some point uh, in the not too distant future um and in creating those those funds, we need to make them uh, stack up from a financial services investment point of view as well as an impact point of view. So we're going to create very high impact, very specific funds, but there need to there needs to be enough integrity in there from a pure play perspective. So we need to be in enough companies doing this specific thing to create a diversified basket to create an ETF effectively. So there's a we're always interested in, in all the specific themes, but there has to be a, and is this investable and can we create it and is it scalable? Um, so some of the themes may not be there yet. For example, it'd be great to do like a vegan food ETF, but from an ETF integrity, there's probably only a handful of companies genuinely doing that. Um, and you could force 30 companies in there, but then the ETF will be weak from an impact point of view. So there's other considerations for us in, in which themes we launch on the platform. Um, and it has to, we have to consider impact and practicality of, of, of uh, ETF creation. And you talk about, of, of course, launching these ETFs. What, what's the purpose of doing that versus what you're already doing? And yeah. again, you say you're hoping to do that. Is that a short term goal or is that maybe more sort of in the future, in a few years time? Short, medium and long term, I would say. Um, oh, yeah. all of the, but so we, so we, wouldn't, we wouldn't launch 15 ETFs first. You know, it'd be like, which phase which obviously phase it in i think there's a few there's a few underlying things that there so you know our portfolios we use we use some um third party funds that cr- that we cr- that we create together as an asset allocation and that's the themes that our customers invest in um and there's some themes that we think we could improve upon and there's some themes that we think are missing and i don't think there's anyone better to do it to launch them than us basically and i think it strengthens our customer experience we have our own way of doing things, which you think is very, very integral, uh, sorry, high integrity from an impact point of view. And the market needs it too. The market needs more um, proper high impact uh, ways of in- impact investing in listed markets that are accessible to everybody. And I think we are, we are in a prime position to create them. 
And uh, with these sort of goals, I mean, ambitious as they are, is this going to be something you do by yourself or in collaboration with other impact investment firms? Uh, always up for collaboration. However, we, we plan to do the, we plan to do this initial ETF work ourselves. Yeah, it's uh, it's all being driven by us. It's the power of our, it's the power of what we want to stand for as a company. Um, I think we need to be set the standard for sustainable capitalism in Europe. Initially, that's what that's our goal. Okay, and I no doubt you no doubt tell your investors this, but responsible investment criteria um, and acronyms such as ESG don't necessarily guarantee your money is going to an entirely sustainable company. Yeah. What more can institutional investors do to champion sustainability and how will your work contribute to that end? Yeah. What more can they do to champion, I suppose, invest in it <laughs> and not, not keep talking about it. One of my big book bears is I was, I, in, in 2013 was when I first started working in like an in, the impact area of the investment management industry. And a lot of the conversations that I was having at these institutional conferences are the same conversations that are taking place today. You know, people like talking about this, but they don't do it, you know, a lot. No, it's changing a little bit because obviously the assets invested this way are going, you know, through the roof. But people need to just start and invest this way. Um, and uh, that's the biggest thing that I think institutional investors could do to support this, you know, this way of doing things. There's some that are obviously way better than others. Um, and what was the second part of your, your, your question? Well, what work, you know, what will we, I think... I think for us, what impact can we have on them? I think, I think there's probably a few angles. We can show them how it's how it can be done quickly. We can show them how to report on it properly and engage people properly with it. Um, and when we launch our own funds, we can show them where to invest some of their money. In a, you know, if you're talking about pension funds, they could use the funds that we launch that we launch eventually. Um, so I think our our role in the ecosystem is get a high number of previously unengaged individuals to engage in this way of investing. And in doing so, we can set the standards for how you do impact fund creation, impact reporting, all the, all the other parts of the ecosystem. And then institutional investors can learn from that and invest that way. Um, but I think the, 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 the major thing they can do is start investing this way because there are a lot of credible options out there to do it already. Mm. I mean, for instance, one of, my, uh, one of my old professors, she used to say that the responsibility to change companies lies first and foremost with the investors, whether that be institutional investors or individual investors. How much responsibility do you think sits with individual investors and what would your advice be to a budding next generation of young investors? Yeah, it depends what you mean by investor. Do you mean, do you mean our core customer who's never invested before? Or do you mean a professional investor who's young and coming through the ranks of a, of like an investment house? Um, I would say in terms of responsibility, I'll be talking about both of them with invite, yeah. with advice, pro probably the younger first time investor. Yeah. So I think it's, it's never been easier to invest this way. And it's, it, there's still some areas of, of, of uh, some areas that are a little bit opaque and some definitions that don't mean other definite other things. But I think the advice I would be is to start, and, to, and just to look a little bit at the underlying holdings of the fund that you're investing in or the product that you're using, because there's a, there is a danger in the industry of funds that say they're impactful or sustainable and the underlying fund holdings are not. So try and start and try and do it in a way that ties in with what you think you're doing because people invest in sustainable funds, but the number one holding is HSBC. And I, and I know that's not what they mean when they, when they, when they want to invest sustainably. Um, on one of your previous points, you talked about 
big it was institutional investors using ESG and things like that as benchmarks. I think that whole part of the investment industry will be left behind relatively quickly. I think ESG is is only a risk factor consideration in the investment decision making process. It says nothing about the impact of your investments. And it's not designed to, it's not a shortcoming of ESG. It's by design, it's what ESG is. And we need to stop using ESG as a proxy for impact because they're not the same thing. You can you can happily invest in Coca-Cola because it has a great ESG rating, but Coca-Cola not solving any world problems for the business model. They're not having a they're not having or interested in having a measurable positive impact. They're making fizzy drinks and other things for people, which you know may have a place in society, but it's not what people mean by sustainability and impact. I know that. So I think people need to consider ESG as a part of it, but it's only a part. It's not the impact of the investments. It's uh, it's something that's completely separate. And I think it will largely be left behind and or integrated as a default way of thinking about investments in the future. I think it, the industry will quickly move to impact. Now, this may be going a bit too far. I'm not sure. But do you think that um, companies merely owe a fiduciary duty to their shareholders or do they own? Do they owe a duty to society as a whole? You know, you know where I sit on this. I bet already. <laughs> I'm in the. I'm firmly in the latter camp. I, uh, I think um, companies need to think long and hard about their actual impact on the world, and it's no longer acceptable to just think about profit for shareholders. That whole situation is nearly, you know, not to be too extreme, but nearly destroyed the planet. So we need a new model for capitalism. I'm a capitalist, but capitalist with a tilt, basically. And I think we prove, we're proving out with this way of investing that you don't have to give up returns and you can invest in these fantastic companies. So there's no longer an excuse. Um, and I think it's just a really old way of thinking about the planet and investing in economics. And it's, it'll die out soon. And on that bright and lovely note, Tom, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure as always to hear from you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.